0: How we doing y'all? Pretty good, good. So glad to see if I haven't met you before. My name is Kyle Bryant. I'm the college pastor here at ABC. I just want to say hi to our live stream people uh, as well. Hope you guys are having a great weekend. Uh, Happy Valentine's Day is today. I have to brag on my son. He's wearing red uh, suspenders with hearts on them today for Valentine's Day because it's his first one. So, you know, you got to be cute, right? Um, But it's kind of a funny time. We got Valentine's Day today. We have President's Day tomorrow. We have Ash Wednesday on Wednesday. It's just the holiday season, a weird holiday season. (laughs) So, um, but I hope you guys are doing well. Um, But with that, uh, speaking of Ash Wednesday, uh, I do want to take just a few minutes before we get into our uh, sermon for today and talk about how we as a church are going to celebrate or really observe Lent this year. Because I know I say that word Lent, and for many of you, your mind goes maybe straight to ashes on foreheads or, or fasting for 40 days or something like that. You know, and different churches practice and observe Lent different ways. The more important thing is is why we observe Lent, and I want to talk about that for a minute, and then how we're going to do it. You know, but historically in the church, Lent has been observed as the forty days, not counting Sunday, uh, leading up to Easter Sunday. And you know, biblically, that number 40 is really significant. It represents the time of preparation. Think about Israel in the wilderness. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years in preparation for entering the promised land. Jesus you know, was in the wilderness 40 days before he began his ministry. And so that, that number 40 is a time of preparation. And so Lent for the church is a time for us to prepare for Easter to prepare our hearts for Easter when we celebrate Christ's resurrection and victory over sin and death. And so you know what that means for the church then is I think we can boil down the intent of Lent, which that kind of alliterates, wow, that's good. But the intention of Lent uh, to really two things. It's repentance and renewal. That Lent is a season for repentance and it's a season for renewal. That word repentance is a biblical word that really just means to have a change of heart or change of mind. Uh, another, another way to think about it is, is to turn, to turn away from our sin and turn toward Christ. So to repent then is to recognize our sin, that we're going in the wrong direction, and then it's to turn around, have a change of mind, and turn toward obedience in God, obedience to God. And so as we prepare for Easter, it's really important to recognize that when Christ was on the cross, he was paying the penalty for our sin, the sin that we have committed. So we need to take, t- take time To seek out the ways that we may need to repent of sin, to have a change of mind in our life. And that repentance then also leads to renewal. That as we seek the Lord and prepare for Easter, it can be a time where as we repent, God also renews our spirits, that He renews us, He grows our love for Him, and grows our desire to see other people know Him as well. And so that's why we can't just consider Lent some kind of tradition that we just do. It's not just some empty ritual that we do once a year, but really, the season of Lent is a gift. It's a gift of God to the church that we can seek the renewal that only comes through repentance in a specific season. So that's, that's the idea, like the why behind it. But here at ABC this year, we're gonna lead us in observing Lent in three ways, three specific things. So next Sunday, we're gonna start doing a, a unique thing during the season of Lent. We're gonna begin our time on Sunday mornings with a corporate confession of sin. Corporate confession and sin. I don't mean that me and Jared are gonna be in a booth to the side of the worship center. Not that kind of confession, right? We're talking about corporate confession, that each week we're gonna use a different guided prayer to begin service as a way for us to confess together to God our sin and our need for him. You know, we don't do this to earn forgiveness from God. Uh, We don't do this to heap guilt on anyone in this room, but we do this because really the Bible would tell us it is good for us to confess our sin that it's good for our souls, that confession humbles us before God, but it also teaches us and reminds us of our need for God's mercy. We see this all throughout the Bible, but just consider the Psalms. You know, the Psalms in many way are God's prayer book for the church, Well, there are at least six or seven Psalms that we would call the penitential Psalms, where the psalmist writes and reflects on their sin and asks for God's mercy and remembers God's mercy. And so if that's the prayer book we've been given for the church, then that should teach us that confession is good for us as a church, not to earn forgiveness, but to be humbled before God and to remember his mercy. So starting next Sunday at the beginning of service, we'll do a corporate confession together. That's the first way. The second way is that we want to encourage you to fast during Lent in some kind of way. You know, fasting is traditional during Lent because in many ways it helps sharpen our repentance and our renewal. It's a sharpening thing. And that fasting, yes, can be from food. Uh, that's the traditional way. You don't fast for 40 days from food. That will probably not go well for you. But you know, some people choose uh, to fast from like a specific meal. Traditionally, maybe lunch on Friday has been traditional, but also maybe you could fast from a meal once a week or maybe fast for a whole day once a week. That's one option. Other people choose to fast from something else, you know, like TV, social media, we kind of joke about that, but really, honestly, with how much control social media has on us, fasting from it, it's probably a a really good thing. Um, But however you fast, I wanna encourage you in this. Whatever you remove, make sure you, you replace it with something good. That just removal for the sake of removal isn't really that helpful, but if you remove something and replace it with something that points you toward God, that's the intention of Lent. So if you remove a meal, Maybe take that time you would be eating lunch and take that time to maybe pray over specific things or maybe take the money you might spend to eat lunch out that day and donate that money to a ministry or donate it to a charity. You remove it and replace it. If you fast from TV or from social media or from whatever, remove, take that time to, instead of watching TV, to maybe pray, read God's word, maybe call a friend you haven't talked to in a while and and catch up, pray for them. But when you remove something, replace it with something that points you to God, points you to his people. Okay, that's, that's the important thing. But thirdly, so first off, we'll do confession. Second, we wanna encourage you to fast. But the third thing is that we're also gonna provide you with some reflection questions during this season to kind of aid you in that process of renewal. Uh, Jennifer Mills has done a great job uh, writing up some great reflection questions to kind of guide us in this spirit of renewal during Lent. And so at the beginning of each week, we're gonna share two questions with you. And we'll share it through email, through text message, through social media. So make sure you're on one of those. If you haven't signed up for our text, Jared already told you how to do it. And we'll probably remind you at the end of service to send to that number. But get on one of those lists because we're going to send you two questions at the beginning of each week to help you reflect on throughout the week and aid you in the process of renewal. Okay, so that's our plan for Lent. We're going to confess together. We're going to fast together in some way. And we're going to reflect together through these questions. So we really want you guys to, to join us in that. And let, let, let's lean into this. I think any, more than any probably year in the world, we probably need this time of renewal. You know what I mean? We need renewal as a church, as a capital C church in America, in the world. But even as Alberta, we need renewal. So let's look to the Lord for that. Let's lean into this, okay? So with that though, if you have a Bible, um, we are in First Timothy today. So you guys can turn to 1 Timothy Chapter 4, we're going to be in the, the last section of chapter 4, verses 11 uh, through 16. While you're turning there, just kind of remind you what this letter is. Uh, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his apprentice, apprentice Timothy, who's leading the church in Ephesus during a really hard time. Uh, and in it, essentially, Paul lays out blueprints for the church, how they should live and behave in light of the gospel. And so last week, Jared talked about Paul's instructions to Timothy on training for godliness, you know, in opposition to getting caught up in all these myths and and false doctrine. And this week, we're going to finish out chapter four, looking at Paul's personal charge to Timothy at the end of this section. So let's read verses 11 through 16 together, and then uh, we'll pray and begin our time. So this is the word of the Lord, verses 11 through 16 of 1 Timothy 4. Paul says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that we see today, that even as Paul writes to Timothy, that, that your word is speaking to us today. It is exhorting us to seek you, to pay attention to our lives, So I pray that you would use your word today to sharpen us, to refine us, to even draw people who don't know you to faith today. Pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, so specifically in these verses, in context, Paul is writing to Timothy as a leader of the church. And you remember at this place in this church in Ephesus, they're in a bad spot. Paul was the one that planted the church, but he's left Timothy in his place as a representative for the time. You know, as we talked about in the series, Ephesus, is the the church there is in a pretty bad place. They're embracing lots of false teaching. They're really disordered in their worship gatherings. They are neglecting their mission as a church. They're in a bad place. So Timothy has his work cut out for him in all kinds of ways in this church which is why Paul gives him both the instructions he gave in the earlier part of chapter 4 and also why he gives them this kind of shotgun blast of just you know, things to do and things to know here at the end of chapter 4 but we also know that just you know historically Paul wrote this letter Knowing that it wouldn't just be read by Timothy, right? Like we're here in 2021 reading this letter. So obviously it wasn't just something Timothy kind of tucked away in a a jacket and put in the closet for years. Like it it got (laughs) circulated in many ways. And so while this is written specifically to Timothy, it also has tons of application for not just church leaders, but for uh, the whole church. So we'll talk about some specific parts that apply to church leaders, but also we're going to apply this to the whole church because I think it has uh, its place there. But if I had to sum up, you know, all the stuff that Paul says in these verses into two words, I would I would put it in two words this way: pay attention. If anything else, I think that Paul is telling Timothy: pay attention to your life. Pay attention. He's telling him that in the midst of all the difficulty, all the opposition, all the mess he's dealing with in Ephesus, he's gotta pay careful attention to his own life and ministry. Otherwise, he's gonna drift and get shipwrecked just like the rest of the church. He says, pay attention. I learned this the hard way, a different way in life. When I was about 10 years old, uh, one time I was riding bikes with my friends in the neighborhood. Remember that was, when that was a thing, you'd ride bikes with your friends in the neighborhood. So I'm riding my, my bike with my friends one day and I must have seen the Tour de France recently or something because I thought, you know what, today I'm gonna pick up some speed. I'm gonna tear down the street in my neighborhood. So I, so I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go fast. So I thought, well, on, the, on TV, they put their head down. You know, like they kind of get aerodynamic. They put their face down, you know, and they kind of hit the pedal to the metal and they go fast. So I thought, I'll put my head down while I ride my bike and I'll just like, you know, really just book it down the street. Well, what what happens if you're not, you know, if you're a 10 year old versus a Tour de France bicyclist, what happens? Well, immediately, as soon as I put my head down and start pedaling faster, I just do this. I just shoot off at the side of the road and I plow into a mailbox on the side of the street. Thankfully, it was made of wood and not brick, and I, I broke that thing in half. I shattered it in half and front flipped over the mailbox and landed in the yard of my neighbor, um, which I have to imagine was hilarious to watch. If they, were seeing, if they saw this out the window, they probably didn't. But you know, just front flip over the mailbox, have to go tell my dad, have this awkward conversation that I burnt the neighbor's mailbox and we went and you know, agreed to pay for it and stuff. You know, it was a big mess. <laughs> but I learned the, the hard lesson that day that when you take your focus off of where you're going, when you get distracted from where you're heading and get off, you know, into something else or just take your eyes off the ball, essentially off the road, it's really easy to find yourself wrecked on the side of the road really quickly. That if we don't pay attention to where we're going, we can get sidetracked and it can lead to, to disaster really quickly. And that's exactly what we see uh, today in Paul's instructions to Timothy. And so really there, there's five things that Paul says and I kind of just wanna take each verse, essentially one verse at a time because it's kind of a shotgun gun blast of things he tells him but we're gonna look at them all under the umbrella of this idea of paying attention to our life, okay? Paying attention. So the first thing we see in how we pay attention is through imitation. We see this in verses 11 and 12, because first off, Paul tells Timothy to command and teach these things, which yet again shows us that Timothy is standing in the place of Paul in the church right now. Timothy's not an apostle, but he is Paul's representative as apostolic authority in the church for this time, telling them what they need to do. And we'll see even more about how he's going to command and teach when we get to verse 13 in a second. But we do know this, that while we know that Timothy was already facing opposition in the church, we see in verse 12 that this is the first time Paul mentions anything about Timothy's age when it comes to uh, that opposition. You know, we don't really know exactly how old Timothy was, but many scholars tell us that he's probably somewhere between his late 20s and like early 30s, somewhere in that ballpark, which is really funny because that puts him close to my age, which, you know, when I was a youth, we always had this verse preached to us. Like, don't, don't let, you know, don't be looked down on because of your youth, when really now this verse is more applicable to me at 33 <laughs> than it was when I was like 16. You know, it's just funny how, how, how that works. Um, but Regardless of how old Timothy was, his point is twofold. He has two points here. That first, older members shouldn't look down on him just because he's younger than them. And also, secondly, Timothy shouldn't give them any reason to look down on him because he's younger than them. And that first point is really simple, but it's really important, you know, because in society at large, it's always been the case that older generations... Look down on the younger generation. We think that's a, a modern thing. It's not. You can go back in history. The older generation always looks down on the younger. You know, today it's like these millennials. You know, are just ruining our country and they're they're killing all these different industries. You know, and things like like that. Depending on what article you read, but that's always been the case in society. And Paul will say more about this in chapter five. But really, he's making the case here that you know, while in society it may be traditional for the older generation to look down on the younger and just view them as a, as a lost cause. But in the church, Paul's saying that the older generation should look at the younger and say, hey, this is the future of the church. This is the future of what God is doing in the world. And so instead of just kind of writing them off, this is a generation worth investing in. Investing in for the expansion of the kingdom. I know this is common for me to say because I'm a college pastor, right? I work with this future generation. But this is so important for us to remember as a church That in the church, the older generation isn't called to criticize the younger generation, but to cultivate them, right? Not to write them off, but to empower them, knowing that they are the future of the church. So we invest in them, right? It's an important lesson. It's a simple thing, but it's a really important thing for us to remember in the church. So that's the first part. But then the second part is that Paul tells Timothy, hey, not only do they shouldn't look down on you, but also don't give them a reason to look down on you, but set an example in the church. And he's really kind of unpacks this setting example in a couple of different ways, you know, which really this makes sense first off, because you think Paul just in chapters three and even in chapter five, some he's been talking all about how leaders should live lives worth imitating, right? But that's the big way that they lead the church is through influence and through example. So it makes sense that Paul would tell Timothy this in these verses, but specifically he tells them a few different ways he should set the example. Uh, first off, he says he should set the example in his speech and conduct, you know, both in what he says and what he does, which is important because Paul knows that a good leader knows that words have consequences, and he's careful in how he speaks to people with his words. But also he knows he's not a hypocrite, that he, that he says one thing and then does another, but a good leader is, should be a model of integrity in every way. That's the first thing. The second thing he says is that he should be an example in love and faith. If you think about it this way, really, if faith is our belief in God, then we can say that love is our obedience to God in our actions. That Paul is saying that Timothy should be an example in his belief, but also the behavior that arises from that belief. Paul's saying that people need to have a lot more than a church leader that just speaks eloquently from a stage about what he believes, but also he lives it out. He, he's a model of obedience. Because one thing I've learned in ministry over the years is this, is that you, know, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You teach what you know. Anybody can get up here and get and speak, not anybody, but lots of people can get up and speak about all kinds of information. But when it comes to living your real life out in front of people, they're going to imitate who you are, not just what you say. right? And that's what Paul is saying here, that real discipleship to Christ is more caught than taught. Not that teaching isn't important. He'll talk about that in a minute. But it's way more caught than taught. So, so both belief and behavior are incredibly important when it comes to a good church leader and really anybody who's seeking to make disciples. It's not just for the leaders, but for any disciple maker. So he talks about setting an example in speech and conduct, in love and faith. But then lastly, he says, Timothy should set the example in purity. And if I can be honest, I think specifically in this case, he's referring to sexual purity. And I'll tell you why, because as far as we know, Timothy is not married. But we do know, based on what Paul says in chapter 5, that the church in Ephesus has a lot of young, single women, many of whom were widows. And part of Timothy's role in the church is going to be to help minister to them, help care for these women. And Paul knew the temptation that that would involve for Timothy. So he tells them, I want you to guard yourself when it comes to uh, purity, but I think if Paul was writing this letter today, I have to imagine that Timothy would say something else to them that's a big threat to his purity. And that's the threat of pornography. If I can bring that up for a second, because I think it's incredibly important to address. Because if I can be honest, I think that pornography in many ways is the greatest threat to the church today. Or than anything else. All the threats outside the church are are bad, but I think one that's the greatest threat inside the church is the threat of pornography Because if you just do some research, you'll find that according to available statistics, there is virtually no difference in porn use between non-Christian men and Christian men. It's about 65% non-Christian men and Christian men both have the same amount of monthly porn use according to statistics. There's no difference. Dr. Samuel Perry is a guy who's done a lot of research on the effects of pornography on someone's religious life. And he says that you know any porn use is associated with declines in religious commitment and behavior, such as attending services, prayer, things like that. And it increases religious doubt. I think in many ways, pornography is a cancer in the church that is wearing away so many young men from serving in ministry and being the leaders they're called to be because of these kind of things. But it's not just men, it's also women. That for Christian women that view porn, more than half of them say that they have doubted their faith because of their porn use and their inability to stop that it destroys our faith. Now, I don't say this to bring guilt on anybody at all. I'm not casting condemnation. But I say this because the church needs to be a place where we can have honest conversations about this. The church needs to be a place where we can have real conversations for people to find freedom from pornography. If we don't talk about it, if we don't bring it up, it will stay in the shadows and fester, and it will continue to eradicate the church's witness and eradicate their spiritual fervor in the world. So we gotta talk about this kind of stuff. So with that said, you know, if we're gonna sum all this up in paying attention to our lives, then Paul tells us that we need to look at these areas, that we need to look at our speech, our conduct, our love, our faith, and our purity, all those things. And we gotta ask God, hey, where do I need to repent? Where do I need to change? Where do I need to surrender to him if I'm gonna pay attention and follow you in the way I'm called to That's the first thing. That point was longer than the rest of them, so don't get worried. Okay, so that was point one. Second way we pay attention is through devotion. We see this in verse 13, that next Paul tells Timothy to devote himself to the public reading, preaching, and teaching of scripture, of God's word. I think that's because it's through devotion to God's word that the church, both preachers and congregation, that we're guided toward paying attention to our lives, that the Bible is an invaluable tool for us to pay attention. The church in Ephesus desperately needed this dealing with all the heresy they were um, dealing with at the time, and we need it today just as much. You know, Both corporately as a church and individually, we need regular reading of God's word, study of God's word, and application of the word to our lives, which is why, for example, on Sunday morning here at ABC, this is why we think it's best to preach through uh, books of the Bible, that the best diet, we believe, for the church is to walk through the whole counsel of God, to walk through whole books of the Bible and unpack them and and not just be guided by the latest headline or cultural issue. Not that it's not a good thing to address those things in the right context, but when it comes to the overall diet of a church, we believe the best thing is regular walking through books of the Bible to expose the church to the whole counsel of God, to expose them to the true diet they need of God's word. That's why we do that way here at ABC on Sundays, but also as individuals, we need devotion to God's word. That God, you think about it, he's preserved the Bible for us over thousands and thousands and thousands of years. That we live in a country where many of us have like you know, multiple copies of the Bible at home. That we are incredibly blessed to have access to God's word. Even live in a society now where we can even read and understand it and have all the commentaries and online resources that we're, we're so blessed to have access to God's word in so many ways. But yet, I know so often in my life, it's easy to take it for granted. It's easy to take God's word for granted to have the easy access to it. I got it on my phone. I've got, you know, you know, the Christian radio to hear them share devotions. I've got all these different ways that I'm, it's kind of pinging off of me, but it's so easy to just take that for granted and not be truly devoted to it. So we got to remember that as Christians, we're called to be devoted to God's word, because as we read God's word, really, ultimately it reads us. As we read the Bible, it reads us. It exposes things in us. It helps us pay attention to our lives that we're talking about so that God can shape us into the kind of the people he wants us to be. So both individually as a, and as a church, I wanna encourage us, let, let's be people of the book. Let's be people that are devoted to God's word because that's one of the primary ways he's allowed us to pay attention to our lives by being exposed to his word and the spirit using it as the tool that it is. So that's devotion. Devotion. The third way we pay attention is through cultivation. Uh, this is in verse 14. That next Paul tells Timothy to pay attention to his life through cultivation. He tells him, don't neglect the gift that he's been given, which we probably can imagine that gift that Paul's talking about is the gift of like evangelism, leading, preaching, teaching. Those are all things that Paul encourages Timothy to do. But Paul does say that this gift was confirmed through prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on Timothy, and I think it's, it's interesting because it seems like what Paul is doing here is as he tells Timothy to cultivate his gift, to invest himself in this, that really what he's doing is he's helping Timothy gain confidence in his present gift by looking to the past. He says, hey, gain confidence in the present by looking to the past of what God has done, which I think is a great word for us, you know, like Keith Pugh loves to say, right? We're monumental what? Forgetters, right? We're monumental forgetters. We forget so many times what God has done for us, Right? So if we're struggling to trust God, if we're struggling to lean into what God is guiding us to do in the present, the best thing for us to do many times is to look to the past. Look how God has been faithful to us in the past, how he's proven himself, how we see more of who he is, and let that then propel us into the future. That we're looking at 100 years here of ABC in March of 2021. And what better way to celebrate 100 years than think about the ways that God has been faithful to us in the past to be propelled into the next hundred years in the future as a church, or or however many years God has for us before Christ comes back, you know? Um, But the idea doesn't just apply to the church, it applies to us, that if we want to be propelled into current faithfulness, we wanna look back to what God has done, knowing he never changes. If he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. We can obey him no matter what's happening, no matter what the adversity is. Uh, but specifically in this text, you know, Paul tells Timothy to uh, cultivate this gift that God has given him. And that sounds really familiar to the, his other letter to Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul tells him, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And I love that idea of, of fanning into flame because kind of what Paul is saying is he wants Timothy to have a, a use it or lose it mentality when it comes to his gift. He wants Timothy to grow in it, but to grow in it, he's gotta to get to work. He has to cultivate it, he has to invest into it. And the same is true for us in whatever gifting God has given us in our spiritual lives. That this idea of paying attention that we're talking about today, it's a lot more than just kind of being you know, on the watch for sin and disobedience. It's not just the negative side. It's also the positive side, that we are intentional to know and grow in our spiritual gifts and our gifts that God has given us. And honestly, Many times people ask me, hey, Kyle, how can I you know, know my spiritual gift? How can I know the gift I have in the church? The best thing is, hey, like, get to work. Like, do something. You know, any opening, any area of ministry you see a need and you have any desire to maybe serve in that, like, talk to the person leading in that. Make sure they <laughs> think you're qualified to, to be a part of that. But if you have an opportunity to step into it, like, get to work and try something. You learn way more often what your gifting is by getting to work than by simply doing, like, a, a spiritual gift assessment on the internet. Nothing wrong with those things, right? But in the end, I know I'm really good at deceiving myself into thinking I have, <laughs> I want to answer this question a certain way based on who I want to be <laughs> instead of, you know, actually getting into work in ministry and learning through application the ways I'm gifted. So the best way to determine the gift you have is by trying things, by getting involved. It doesn't mean you're going to be good at it at first. That's why Paul says, you know, to cultivate this gift, it grows over time. But every person, every person in this room has a role to play in the church, that God has gifted you, you know, in ways that he gave you a gift when you were born. He gave you a gift when you were born again. We all have different natural personality traits that lean us toward certain things. We have spiritual gifts that God has given us as Christians that give us different roles to play in the church. But don't waste your gift. Don't waste the role that you have in this church. Don't waste the ways that you can contribute because we need every person in this room. You're not a waste of space. You're not meant just to come and sit in a seat and listen, but you're meant to have an active role in the church. So cultivate it, get to work, determine how how God has gifted you and grow in it. That's what Paul is telling us in this passage. So that's cultivation. But the fourth way to pay attention is through immersion. This is in verse 15, because in verse 15, Paul kind of begins to bring all this stuff full circle as he tells Timothy to practice these things, to immerse yourself in them, So that all may see your progress. And basically, what he's doing there is he's kind of just, you know, yet again telling Timothy to set an example in the church in his uh, devotion. But I really, I like that phrase, immerse yourself. Uh, That was kind of like something that really stuck with me this week as I was thinking through this passage. Because, like, you may have a footnote in your Bible, literally in the Greek, that phrase is, be in this or be in them. I don't know what it was about that, but that stuck with me because I was thinking about my own life. I know how easy it is to be in and be immersed by so many things in the world that these days, our culture, it moves at such a fast pace that it's so easy for us to be just immersed in the urgent of the here and now every day. You know, there's the constant buzz of social media. You know, there's the 24-hour news cycle. There's just our constant connection to our phones that we have all the time. That all of that can so easily make us immersed in those things and neglect to pay attention to what God is doing in our life. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being connected to the world, but at the same time, I know it's so easy for me to develop a really, you know, distracted and busy heart. A really distracted and busy heart. And, and that's dangerous for a Christian, because it takes our focus off of the real purpose we have to know Christ and make him known. It takes our focus off of the maybe the still moments and how God wants to maybe show us something or speak something into us. If our minds are always going, if the RPMs are always running in our head that we can't be quiet, we can't be still, that's dangerous for us. It makes it hard to pay attention. Uh, Charles E. Hummel in his book, The Tyranny of the Urgent says this. He says, your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important. Your greatest danger is letting the urgent crowd out the important. And I see that so often in my life is that just the pace of life these days makes it so hard to remember the important things and just get caught up in the urgent. But there's an important thing for us to remember that if we don't choose our life's purpose, if we don't choose our life's focus, something or someone will choose it for us. No matter what, something or someone's gonna choose our life focus. And so we have to be really careful to immerse our things in the right things, to immerse ourselves in the things that God has for us, for his purposes. Otherwise, we're gonna just go from one distraction to another distraction over and over again. And we'll end up wasting our lives on lesser things, wasting our lives. Because we're all busy these days, right? That's just the pace of life now. You ask any person, how you doing? One of the first things you'll get is, I'm I'm busy. You know, most of us are busy in different ways. But the question is, can we say, not just are we busy, but are we living intentionally and strategically for the mission of God in the world. It's a question I ask myself all the time. Am I, am I being intentional and, and missional? And am I being strategic with my life, not just going from one urgent thing to the next? It's a hard question to ask, but I think it's what they're pointing us to here, to immerse ourselves in God's purposes and move from busyness to being strategic, from busy to strategic. All right, the last point we have for today is Paul tells us to pay attention through inspection. This is in verse 16. Here in this last verse, we see kind of most clearly Paul's emphasis on paying attention. He says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, which in many ways is Paul kind of summarizing all he said in chapter four, all the different ways that Timothy needs to pay attention. But he ends on uh, this really challenging note. He says, persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's really interesting because think about it. First off, why would Paul say that Timothy would save himself and save his hearers? Like, can Timothy save people? Like, is that what Paul's saying? That's not what he's saying. Because, you know, in chapter four, Paul just said that God is the savior of all people. But God does use people to bring them to salvation. Just consider 1 Corinthians nine twenty two. Paul says this, he says, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. He says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So he's not saying that he is the one actually saving people, but he's saying that God uses people to bring them to salvation. That's, that's, That's a normal way that Paul would speak sometimes, okay? But the challenging idea here is that Paul is saying this. He's saying that our persistence in faith is evidence that we're truly saved. That our persistence in the faith is evidence of our salvation. This is where the paying attention gets real. This is where the paying attention hits really hard. But this is a constant theme throughout the New Testament. I'll give you just one example in Hebrews 3. Hebrews three twelve through 14 says this, "'Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you "'an evil, unbelieving heart, "'leading you to fall away from the living God. "'But exhort one another every day, "'as long as it is called today, "'that none of you may be hardened "'by the deceitfulness of sin.' for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, this doesn't in any way contradict the idea that we're saved by grace, not by works. doesn't contradict at all. But what this is, does mean is that if we truly have come to know Jesus, if we've been born again through the Spirit, there's gonna be a noticeable difference in our life, and that difference is gonna be expressed through affection and direction. That in our life, there'll be a difference in affection, And direction in our life. That if we truly know Christ, we're gonna love the things he loves. We're gonna hate the things that he hates. Doesn't mean that we're gonna not struggle in that, but there should be a noticeable difference in growth in that way. But also our direction should be different. That our pattern of living should be slowly moving more and more toward Jesus and farther away from sin. That both in our affections being changed and our direction being changed, that's some of the clearest evidence in fruit of salvation that we can take confidence in. So Paul is telling us to be really careful, to examine our hearts and examine our lives and see that this is true. And it doesn't mean that we're not gonna have periods of struggle, it doesn't mean that, you know definitely doesn't mean that we're not gonna you know get to a certain age and think, man, I thought I'd be way farther along than I, than I am. Like I'm 33, I thought I'd be way farther in my faith at this point than I am. It's not that, but it does mean that we should pay really careful attention to our lives. That just because we prayed a prayer at VBS one time years ago, doesn't mean we actually know Christ if there's no fruit of salvation in our lives. That's what he's saying here. We gotta pay careful attention to examine our hearts and lives. See, is there change in affection and direction? Is there a trajectory that we're moving toward, toward Christ and not just banking on a prayer we prayed one time in a worship service? That's in no way a biblical way to think about salvation and the confidence we can have in our salvation. All right, so that's, that's the, the most hard-hitting, but really the most important way today, I think we can think about paying attention to our lives. So as we begin to wrap up today, I wanna ask you that question one more time. Are, are you paying attention? You know, or are you just living on autopilot? Are you just letting the tyranny of the urgent every day distract you from things? Or are you being intentional with your focus in life? I love the way that William Wilberforce, uh, abolitionist, he said it this way. He said, if there is no passionate love for Christ at the center of everything, we will only jingle and jangle our way across the world, merely making a noise as we go. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna just have my life be just a bunch of noise. It's kind of a wasted bunch of, like he says, jingling and jangling. It's kind of a funny phrase, but I don't want my life to be just adding to the noise of the world. There's enough noise in the world as it is. I don't want my life to be just more of that. I wanna make an eternal impact. And that requires me and it requires us to pay attention to how we're living. It requires us to be imitating the right examples, to be devoting ourselves to the word, to be cultivating the gifts God's given us, to be immersing ourselves in God's purposes and to be closely inspecting our lives to make sure we're actually following Jesus. Because if not, we may end up wasting our lives because we didn't pay attention. We'll end up drifting off the side of the road and and being wrecked in our faith. That's not what God wants for us. It's not what this church wants for us. So let's pay attention. So as we close, if you don't know Jesus, if maybe today it's helped you realize that you haven't ever put your faith in him, you don't have a personal relationship with him, I'd love to talk to you more about that. If you came with a Christian friend or family member, I'm sure they would love to talk to you more about that if you have questions. But I'll be down in the front if you wanna talk. We also have a prayer team that's gonna be up front to offer prayer if you have any prayer needs for today. But don't neglect this time for us to examine our own hearts. And even as we enter into this season of Lent, where we pay even extra attention to repentance and renewal, let's take this time to pay attention to our hearts and minds and see where God may want us to change, may want us to grow. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the ways that your word challenges us that it, it calls us to step out of ambiguity and, and distraction, and it calls us to really look into our own hearts and minds and, and ask tough questions. Lord, I know just the, the, the pace of life these days can be so easy for us to be just distracted by going from one urgent thing to the next. But I pray even as we enter into this, uh, this season of Lent, this season of preparation for Easter, that we could find some ways to slow down Uh, maybe remove some distractions from our lives so we can even be be willing to sit and just listen and and listen to how you may be speaking to us, the ways you may be directing us. I know that's that's a scary thing sometimes if we're so used to moving so fast, but it's what you call us to because it's in those still moments and even just still seasons that you speak to us in a way that that maybe you, you can't do otherwise because we're just so distracted. So Father, I pray even for this morning that you would speak to people, that you would do the work that only you can do. You would transform lives in the way that only you can. But we love you. Pray in Christ's name, amen.